so yesterday, um, me and some friends and family, we climbed up Penny Van, you know, the Welsh mountain. It's really great. Um, this is not part of my talk, but I just wanted to share it with you. Um, so on the way up, uh, it's quite a steep road. We didn't know which way to go. There's two, uh, several different ways you could go. Um, and we went up the first one that was in front of us. <laughs> um, but there, it was quite misty. And, uh, and we kept walking, 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 you know, and, and we couldn't see behind us, and we couldn't see ahead of us, and then we got to the peak, and then we couldn't see anything either, and, you know, it's like, you know, um, and then the Lord did a wonderful thing, it, it all cleared, and we could see not just this amazing view, but where we'd just come, and we all said to ourselves, we're so glad it was foggy. <laughs> Because actually not knowing where you're going sometimes can be really helpful <laughs> in terms of morale and in terms of, um, you know, trusting. And uh, because we were all together in a crowd, we just chatting away, we, we made it to the top of Penny Van. And I'm pretty sure um, that several members of the party wouldn't have made it to the top if they'd seen the top from the bottom. So um, I just wanted, just as we were just worshipping then, I just wanted to say... You know, maybe you can't see the way ahead at the moment, and that's a, a mercy uh, rather than a problem for you. And uh, just, you know, just trust the Lord. Okay, so, hi guys. <laughs> um, so, uh, Manchester, 1963. I was anybody there? <laughs> not even there, <laughs> not even born. <laughs> I wasn't actually born either. Manchester, 1963. Uh, Bob Dylan's played the first half of his uh, folk set, and he walks on stage, um, this time with an electric guitar, Fender Stratocaster, uh, sunburst, vintage. Uh, so he walks on stage uh, with an electric guitar to start the second half in electric. Uh, and what was the cry that came out from the crowd? Judas. Judas. It's a brilliant moment. You can find it on YouTube if you want to. And does anybody know what, how he replied? He said, you're a liar. It's really great. And then he told the band to play very, very loud. So <clears throat> he was seen as a traitor to the folk scene. And uh, lots of fans were expecting it to happen. He'd been doing it in the States. He turned up, the, uh, turned up at uh, the, was it the Newport Festival in America and played electric and it upset everybody. He was a Judas. He'd, um, <clears throat> he'd stepped back. He'd turned, turned coated. He'd turned to the other side. He'd gone electric. Um, <laughs> there's some, there's some, actually, <laughs> I, I can't repeat what they said, but some of the fans, but some of the, their comments were quite humorous, actually, when you look back over time. But let's like, scroll forward to 19... No, not 19 anymore. 2022. Uh, <clears throat> February. Ukrainian-Belarusian border. I don't know if anybody saw this. Does anybody know what happened on the... So the uh, Belarusian ambassador to Ukraine is uh, being escorted out of the country over the border. And the instructions of the border guards was to hand the ambassador of the Belarusian uh, government a bag of 30 coins of silver to give to the president of Belarus... The story of Judas is still very, very much with us, isn't it? It's an echo that goes all the way down the, through the, 
I hope you've never had the misfortune of being called a Judas or ever heard that happen. You know, because it is like the lowest of the low. It's one of the harshest things you can say to somebody. And yet I'm sure we've all experienced betrayal at one level or another. And I'm sure we've also been betrayers ourselves. Nobody in this room is not guilty of being a victim of the betrayal or not doing it yourself. Even if it's on the playground at school and, you know, your mate said to you, don't tell Angelina that I really love her. And you did. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> we've all been there. So <clears throat> a story of Judas is well known, but there's also, in a sense, an unwritten story. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a thing called the metaverse or the multiverse. The multiverse? Thank you. Multiverse is where there are many parallel universes all running in, in, alongside each other, and you can skip between the two if you in the Marvel world. Is it Marvel? Marvel, yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> but there is, in a sense, there was a possibility of a multiverse moment. There is like a story that, hasn't, that didn't get written about Judas. And I wanted to um, explore that maybe a little bit. But first of all, what do you know about Judas? Apart from the fact he betrayed Jesus, what else do you know? He was a friend of Jesus with a capital F, yeah. Anything else? He was also a thief with a capital T, yeah. He did look after the money, which goes with the thief bit. We're going to connect those up in a, in a second, yeah. Anything else? Ah, that's debatable, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, he was zealous. He was zealous. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm going to cover that a little bit in a minute. Uh, um, uh, uh, anything else? Don't worry, I'm not going to criticise you or, or say you're wrong. Don't worry. <laughs> Unless you feel. <laughs> if Ed was here, I definitely wouldn't have done that. But <laughs> no. Um, anything else? He was chosen by Jesus. Okay, so if we actually go through who Judas was, okay, we know that Judas was one of the very first believers. He was one of the 12 chosen by Jesus. He was appointed an apostle alongside Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and the other guys. Uh, He was sent out with the 12, as one of the 12, and with the 72, and therefore he performed miracles of healing, casting out demons, and he preached the good news. He was trusted with, by, by Jesus, definitely trusted by Jesus, because Jesus allowed him, gave him the honour of carrying the group purse. He didn't trust Matthew, the tax collector, who should have known how to deal with money. He trusted Judas. And that's quite an honourable position. I mean, even in our church, you know, I'm sure lots of you would love to be the treasurer. <laughs> I'm uh, sure, you know, when, when, when uh, you know, Martin stands down, there'll be a long queue of folk who want to, you know, t- <clears throat> take that role. Um, what else? Well, so, yeah. Um, and also, he wasn't just looking after the money. We know that he was trusted to buy the stuff with the money. So, for example, at the, um, it says in uh, in the John, let's want to read this one. Um, so it says... Um, where was it? Uh, so, uh, oh yeah, sorry. 
post-it notes. Jesus says, so is it at the, at the dinner table on the Last Supper, Jesus knows what's in Judas's heart. And he says, what you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. And yet, literally moments before that, they ask, who's going to betray you? And Jesus says to John, oh, it's the guy who I'm just going to give this piece of bread to. And he gives it to Judas. Judas takes the bread and goes out to betray Jesus. John sees Judas with the bread that Jesus has given him. He's heard the instruction, and yet he still goes, oh, Judas has gone out to buy some pies or something. You know, like, <clears throat> he's, he was trusted by the disciples too. So we're not talking about somebody who presented as sneaky and unpopular. He presented as someone who was a friend, a trusted friend. Um, He was also the only non-Galilean. All of the disciples came from Galilee, and this is where we, me and Phil, might disagree. But his name is Judas Iscariot, and um, there's a place called Curieth in Judah, and so, the most recent research says that exactly. Because I grew up with the same story. The story was that Iscari- Iscariot was a, di- a corruption of uh, oh, I can't remember what it's now. It's Iscari or something like that, uh, which was a group of assassins who liked to sneak up behind Romans in a crowd with a very long knife. Um, but they didn't actually, it turns out they didn't come around until about 20 or 30 years after Judas Iscariot. So he probably wasn't one of those, apparently. <laughs> oh, not one of those. But yeah, so it's, it's, it's likely he came from Kirioth in Judah, in the south, just south of, south east, southwest of Jerusalem. Um, and we also know, though, that his father, it was called Simon, and he's called Simon Iscariot. In other words, Simon from Kirioth. So that you wouldn't, like, Chris Hans, you wouldn't say Chris from Camden because everybody knows he's born and raised in Camden. But me, you might say, oh, Tim from Western Supermare to identify me from other Tims. So it's, if, if you're emphasising where somebody's low, you know, origin was, it's possible they're not living in their origin. So maybe Simon Iscariot was actually living in Galilee and had taken his son and his family there and that gave Judas the opportunity to hear Jesus preaching. And he became one of the very, very first believers. And Jesus chose him as an apostle. And he was probably just a normal guy, because everybody who Jesus chose was nobody special. I mean, normally uh, Matthew was a tax collector, so that made him special in the wrong way. Um, but m- most of the people were just average Joe Bloggs working guys. He probably didn't have any high social status, and it's certainly not emphasised that he had any status. So um, we also know that he was a witness to all the events in the Gospels. So he saw Jesus raising people from the dead. He saw healings. He was there when you know, people got out of their beds and ran off, leaping and praising and, and stuff like that. Uh, he saw the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. He witnessed Jesus walking on the water although he himself didn't get out of bed. All of these significant events, Judas was there. He was a witness to it. He was part of it. 
And throughout that time, he still was a trusted friend. When Jesus did the hard teaching about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and many, many disciples deserted Jesus, Judas was one of the few that stayed behind. And there's that amazing passage in that moment where Peter says, where else can we go? But at that moment, Jesus says, I've, I've chosen you, but I know one of you will betray me. So even in Jesus' heart, he knew that one of the 12 was going to betray him at that point. Did Jesus know it was Judas? We don't know. Um, Judas also risked his life for Jesus by going to Jerusalem. A lot of the disciples didn't want to go to Jerusalem because they knew that Jesus' um, life was under threat. Uh, and Thomas announces that, so oh, let's, go to let's go to Jerusalem with him. We'll all die too, kind of comment. Um, and Judas was part of that crowd. He went with them. He was there. He was risking his life to go to Jerusalem. He witnessed a few days later the resurrection of Lazarus, four days in the tomb, one day longer than the spirit can stay in the body in Jewish thought. Now, in Jewish thought, the soul left the body after three days. Jesus waited for four. So it was a major miracle. In the Jewish mind, Jesus had just not raised the body, but he'd called the soul back from Hades. I'd love to have had a chat with Lazarus about that. You know, kind of, what was it like? You know. Um, and I'm sure Judas would have loved to have had that conversation with Lazarus too, and he had every opportunity to have that conversation. And he would have been one of the disciples who laid his cloak in the triumphal entry when all the palms were coming down and people taking their coats off and throwing them under Jesus' feet. He was one of those people. So he started off really well. Really well. A shining light, one of the twelve. But we discover he has a problem with money. I mean, it first becomes obvious when... Mary anoints Jesus' feet with the perfume and the, the nard. It's really expensive. It's about £25,000 worth of nard. And it's an act of worship, and it fills the room with this massive fragrance. The nard is a really potent perfume. And we don't know what the others thought at that moment when he was doing it, but, Ju but Judas is the one who speaks up and says... What a waste of money. That could have been sold. And we could have given the money to the poor. Now remember that was his job. His job was to look after the purse, buy stuff and give money to the poor from the purse. As directed by Jesus. And he goes, oh, waste of money. And that's the first indication that Judas's heart has actually grown hard. Instead of being overwhelmed by the worship and the beauty and the adoration of Jesus... He's got his eyes fixed on more material things. And John, who's got a particular axe to grind against um, uh, Judas, when you, when you read the Gospel of John, it's John who puts in all the little comments. And one of his comments was, um, here it is. He said, uh, it's all getting stuck together. Okay. Uh, yeah, so... Um, but one of the, so we're in the middle of this white perfume experience. And, uh, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, John puts in, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He doesn't. And then, then, Paul, then John says, this is his comment, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. And, and, and as, you, as you read the Gospel of John, John's got an axe to grind. And it's not surprising because John is the only Gospel writer who was there. He was the, one of the disciples, the youngest of all the disciples, we believe. And so he was personally betrayed by Judas. And you can understand John's need to emphasise the But at the same time, remember, they all betrayed Jesus. They all ran off. They all abandoned him. Judas might might be an instigator, but they all joined in. So so John tells us that he was stealing from the purse, but clearly that wasn't known at the time, otherwise he would have been exposed at the time. This is looking back. On reflection, we realise Judas had been stealing from the money bag. Um, And from John's comment there, it looks like Judas had been doing this for a while. Um, also, we know that Jesus was, Judas was prepared to betray Jesus for the price of a second-hand car. 30 pieces of silver, worth about 10, 10 grand in today's money. But it was more significant than that, because 30, if you go back to Zechariah, um, the prophet is uh, paid 30 pieces of silver, and it's the price of a slave at that time. And so the 30 pieces of silver is significant from the Pharisees. They're saying, he's, Jesus is nothing. And Zechariah was a prophet, and they didn't want to pay him the right wage for a prophet because they didn't believe his prophecy. So on another level, the Pharisees are saying, we don't believe he's a prophet. That was some of the significance of those 30 pieces of silver. But the bottom line is, we know from the, all four gospel writers say that Judas did it for the money. Um, and it was just the price of a second-hand car. So I don't know how, what your price is for betraying a friend. But for Judas, it was just 10K. We also know from several comments that he became so corrupted that Satan was able to control him. We don't know whether, I don't know if that's whether a, a full sort of possession, but it definitely says that Satan, on a couple of occasions, it says in reflected Jesus' betrayal, that Satan had control of him. So his heart, by the time he agrees to talk to the um, Pharisees and the leaders and the elders about betraying Jesus, that his heart was able to do that. His heart was hard enough to put money before his love for Jesus, his friendship with Jesus, but also for his friends. Because he wasn't just selling out his, his Jesus. All of the disciples would have been implicated. They could have been arrested too. It was a, a total sellout. It, it was, you know, you can imagine um, World War, Fran- you know, France in World War Two, and and the resistance, you know, hiding people, and, and then somebody who might be a Nazi sympathizer or just needs the money doesn't gives one name, but that name leads to many, and that could have happened in this situation, which is why the disciples all legged it. They thought their lives were at risk. Um. Also, we understand that he was spying. It wasn't like, a, oh yeah, give me the money, and then instantly it was, he's over there. It said that they, he waited for the opportunity. So all, during that last Easter week, he was spying on, for the enemy against his friends and against Jesus. And these are the very people that Jesus had been warning Judas about for three years. 
Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. They're whitewashed tombs. They're a nest of vipers. He was hardened enough to lead a mob to Jesus. He could have just hidden in the bushes and gone, it's the one on the left. But that's not what he did. He led a crowd to arrest Jesus. Did he feel powerful? Was it a sense of importance that overwhelmed him? I don't know. And his heart was so hard that he used the signal for a very close friend to betray him with a kiss. And it's clear that Judas chose that signal. He wasn't told to do that signal. He chose that signal. He could have, like I say, pointed from a distance. And to walk into his friend, a group of his friends, can you imagine that, the, the brazenness of it? Imagine somebody walked in now and pointed one of us out and tra- in front of all their friends. What kind of hardness must that have taken to be able to do that? But we also know he had a conscience. Because as soon as he realised what he'd done, he was filled with remorse. And it's clear he was unable to forgive himself. And clearly believed that the others would not forgive him. And clearly believed that Jesus wouldn't be able to forgive him. And he took his own life. And he took his own life in a way that for a Jew would guarantee going to hell. He hung himself on a tree and that meant he was cursed. Some have suggested that Judas was predestined to do this, that he he didn't have a choice, that it's all written beforehand. There's even a Gnostic gospel, um, which everybody says is rubbish, (laughs) But it's, it's, it was discovered in about the third century or something. And it, it, it talk, it's like a conversation between Jesus and Judas. And um, Jesus is instructing Judas because Jesus wants to uh, make, these, make these events happen. So he tells Judas to betray him. Um, but it's, it's severely discredited. But we read in John 6, 64, Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe him, and who would betray him. And John 6, verse 70, then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. And, and when he's in, uh, having the, his, the last supper with his friends, uh, he says, he becomes very somber at some point, he, he becomes overwhelmed, and he says, and he starts quoting from Psalm 41. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And Psalm 41 is actually referencing that part in Genesis where it says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So Jesus is referencing the fact that Satan is involved in this horrendous crime. And he, but think about that. Even my own, he's quoting this psalm, even my own familiar friend, whom I trusted, who ate my bread. So Judas wasn't like an extra part he wasn't chosen to be a betrayer. He was chosen as a friend, as an apostle, as someone to carry on the work after Jesus had ascended. 
And Genesis, um, John 13 says, Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I've dipped it. Having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So some would argue that at that point, Jesus could have chosen any one of the disciples, maybe, but he chose Judas. But I, I would argue that having knowledge isn't the same as making it happen. And actually, when you read the Gospels, you can see Jesus continually warning them that one of them could betray him. Whether he had Judas and knew it was going to be Judas, and at what point he realized it was going to be Judas, we do not know. But we do know he kept saying, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas was listening to that, and he could have been thinking, am I that person? Could it be me? So we know he started well. He was one of the first to believe. He's a trusted apostle. He acted on his faith by preaching, healing, casting out demons. He was trusted with the purse. He was trusted by the other disciples. But he appeared at some point to allow the creeping death of temptation to lure him in. This time it was the love of money. Incrementally, step by step. You know that's how it works, don't you? People don't just fall like that. You fall by incremental, incremental small steps. The ground is laid. We don't know what point he crossed the line. We don't know at what point he was just going through the emotions about being a disciple. But Jesus knew. He saw Judas's heart was growing cold and hard. Maybe Jesus knew Judas better than Judas knew himself. It's sometimes it's hard to be honest with yourself. Sometimes it's hard to recognise what's going on in your own heart. Maybe you're blind to it, I know I have been, and I've needed others to point it out to me. Maybe you don't want to hear the truth, and I know I've been in that category. But we can see, as I said, you know, that there was times when he, he thought things had been wasted. Because his, money, his mind was more focused on the money than on Jesus. The problem was too big enough for him uh, in that state when he said, when he just blurted it out, well, we could sell it to the poor. Really, the money, the love of money had grown so big in his heart, he couldn't keep his mouth shut. It just spilled out. He was exposed. And I'm sure, I'm definitely sure at that point Jesus knew what was going on. And that might have been the signal to Jesus that it was going to be Judas. So, how do you test your own heart? How do you know your own heart's growing cold? When sin uh, has corrupted you to the point where you... Well, the answer to that is, that's all of us right now. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners in this room. Nobody here can put a hand up and say, not me. But there are some little clues. I mean, do you resent the time of Jesus? If your partner or someone you love said to you, why don't you spend a bit of time with the Lord? You seem a bit stressed at the moment. Why don't you sit down and spend some time with the Lord? And uh, you go, oh, I've got to mow the lawn or, you know got my homework to do or you know that kind of stuff uh, there could be loads of other things that you could come up with and you just find excuses not to sit down and spend time with the Lord you might even resent them are saying it to you something rises up inside you you know 
Or there's something on YouTube you're really desperate to watch, which is normally my problem. <coughs> have, you seen, have you seen Matt's Off-Road Recoveries? Brilliant channel. Anyway, um, do the way that other people worship annoy you, niggle you, leave you cold? Does the fact that somebody talks about Jesus wind you up, even if you don't show it? Do you find yourself speaking against others? In the quiet of your own heart, where nobody sees? Maybe in the safety of your home, own home with the people, people you love and you feel safe with? Or maybe with the people you agree, who you know will agree with you? This could be a sign of a heart that's growing cold, where maybe a sin of Maybe a, a, a habitual sin or something like that has taken root. Maybe you're sabotaging your closeness to Jesus because you want to protect this little thing that you don't want God to deal with. I know I've been there. Romans 8.5 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Galatians 5. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit watches what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. James, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? There is a war for your soul. There's a war going on. There's a war going on your love and your heart for Jesus and we are all in that battle Judas hid all his secrets early on he could have confessed to struggling, he could have said to Jesus you know what, I'm not sure if I'm the right guy to have the purse do you think you could give it to Matthew he might be more trustworthy he could have asked help for his friends hey Matthew, could you come with me when I go and buy things Hey, James, could you count the money with me? But he hid from accountability. He had the capacity, because we know that he, was, he loved and had faith in Jesus. He had the opportunity, he had the proximity to Jesus. And we know he felt remorse. But he had lost sight of Jesus. Even though he was in Jesus' presence, he'd lost sight of Jesus. He'd lost sight of the wisdom of Jesus and the assurance of Jesus. Somewhere along the line, Judas had allowed the object of his desire, which happened in this case to be money, to be his master. Money is a cruel master, and all sin is a cruel master. It will always demand more of you. As with all sinful desires, it demanded to be more and more dominant in his life. The bigger it got, so his perspective, belief and trust in Jesus diminished. Eventually he believed the lie that his sin had more power than the love of Jesus. He believed his problem was bigger than Jesus' ability to deal with it. So he tried to fix it himself. He tried to bargain with his captors, tried to give the money back, tried to convince them to undo what he had done. But it was too late, 
and they were cruel. And they didn't care about him, they'd used him. And my experience of sin has been just like that. It just spits you out when it's done with you and leaves you with the consequences. So we tried to run away and hide, it says, and Judas went away. But the problem with that was he took himself with him and he was the problem. I mean, he could have been a witness against Jesus. He could have been in that room. The Gospels could have said that Judas was one of the false witnesses, but he wasn't. So he must have fled before that happened. But as I said, the sin and the shame came with him and overwhelmed him. And of course, once he saw Jesus was as good as dead, all hope was lost. It was too late. No hope. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. Or you know loved ones who are. It's really, really scary. It's a scary place to be. But Judas hadn't been listening. He'd missed Jesus' worst kept secret. Jesus was coming back. And not, in fairness, none of the disciples <clears throat> thought that either. They were all taken by surprise. He wasn't the only one. It says in the scriptures he had remorse. And some commentators said he had remorse but not repentance. Because instead of going to Jesus and receiving forgiveness, he punished himself. But it wasn't his punishment to take. Isaiah 53 says about Jesus, a prophecy written thousands of years before, says, Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. It wasn't Judas's punishment to take. Jesus had paid the price and was about to pay the price. And Judas missed the opportunity. What could have been? If only he'd waited. If only he kept faithful, even after all he'd done. Can you imagine how awesome, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, probably theologically unsound, but how more awesome might the Gospels be to have a paragraph in them where Jesus discovers Judas running down the road and finds him and breaks bread with him and forgives him. Can you imagine what effect and power that would have had on so many people down through the centuries since Jesus died? Judas could have had that story in there. He could have still been one of the twelve. But he lost his faith, he lost sight of Jesus, he'd lost sight of all that was going on. He thought his problem was bigger than Jesus' ability to deal with it. Jesus forgave them all. All the disciples were forgiven. And if you notice, when he forgives Peter, Peter doesn't initiate that moment. 
Jesus is the initiator. It's almost like Peter's kind of like, well, I hope he doesn't mention anything. You know, you know. <laughs> I think I got away with that one, not sure. Maybe I did get one. Not. And then Jesus sidles up to him and says, hey, Peter. And Peter goes, oh, no. Time to face the music. Jesus initiated it. All of that betrayal that they put on Jesus, he initiated the forgiveness. It was Jesus' privilege to take Judas' punishment on the cross, but Judas didn't see the cross. It would have been Jesus' joy to welcome him back into fellowship, but that joy was robbed from Jesus. Paul says, the greater our sin, the greater the grace. Luke 7, Jesus said, therefore I tell you, just talking about a woman who'd been caught sinning, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Um, actually, a really bad translation, but basically says, she, has, she loves much because she has been forgiven much. And those who are forgiven little love little can you imagine the depth of love Judas would have experienced for Jesus on receipt of forgiveness can you imagine I I don't think I could imagine the depth of love I I just think it's a, a sad really really sad unwritten story that could have been written. Um, oh, I guess my, <clears throat> get my buttons. Um, <clears throat> it's amazing how fat my fingers are. I can't type, but can't, even as fat as they are, I still can't pick things up. Um, I probably don't need that bit. So, um, I just wanted to, forgiveness is is a powerful, powerful thing, and I got this. Um, account by a lady called Corey Tenboom, and she was a lady who's fat, she was only about 10 years old at the time, but her family were harbouring Jews, and they became part of the Jewish underground, the, the part of the, the underground railway that was getting Jews out of Amsterdam. And, um, but somebody uh, betrayed them, and the whole family ended up in concentration camps. Corey survived, her sister didn't. Um, and this is an account of when she met one of her captors, one of the guards that had cruelly caused the death of her sister. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin and there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? Suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel aufseers in concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian, I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness and Fräulein Tambom will you forgive me and I could not 
I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5 5. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. But he can. We're going to have communion. And we're going to... Actually, guys, if you, the band could um, uh, get yourselves ready. <clears throat> we're going to use communion as an opportunity for what it's meant to be, which is time to reflect and be in touch with his forgiveness. You see, there's no chasm so wide, no pit so deep, no darkness too dark the Lord there's no chains he cannot break the Lord can't rescue you rescue me maybe you see your failures more than you see your saviour do they keep you from him do you let your doubts lose trust in him Do you try and sort the problem out yourself? Is your problem bigger than Jesus? (laughs) Now is the time to turn it around. Now is the time for us to stop hiding and start believing in his goodness and his kindness and his love for you. There's a wonderful book out at the moment called Gentle and Lowly. Um, we've been, uh, Phil and Ed were using it as a part of the series in, in the mornings. But two of the chapters talk about Jesus as the doctor. The doctors like illnesses. They like disease. They run towards disease because they're healers. They don't see, they're not repelled by the ugliness of the disease. They run towards it because they have compassion for the patient. They see the suffering of the patient. A few years ago, I had a face infection. Do you remember it, Phil? It was just like, my face was covered in pus. It was swollen. It was gross. It was crusty. Um, It was really, really nasty. And I had to wear a mask before pandemic to cover it. And I felt horrible. But when I went to the doctor... um, uh, Dr. Broadway, she would, she, when I pulled the mask down, she was like, oh, that's so awful, I'm so sorry for you. And then she started prodding it, which really hurt. But she, ne- <laughs> she needed to get some stuff to test it. <laughs> it's like, Ngh! But she was not reviled. She didn't go, oh, that's disgusting. You know? Um, he's also the parent. 
And when your kid's in trouble, you run towards them and you rescue them. You don't run away. You see your child and you want them so much. Whatever your Whatever is in your heart that you are trying to hide from Jesus, and everybody in this room is trying to hide something from the Lord. We all are. It's just, who we, it's just human nature. Then maybe this is an opportunity, if you've got the courage, to just begin to open it up to the Lord. Jesus looked at them, the disciples, when they were concerned that nobody could get into heaven, said, With man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And one John, Jesus' one of his closest friends said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all our sin. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So none none of us can sit here and say, well, I've not sinned. I'm not sinning. None of us. And one Peter, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. (laughs) You can't disillusion God. He had no illusions in the first place. Let's let's just worship together and then we'll take communion and uh, share together.